Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 23 of the Trap Rock 101 podcast by Pirates and Poets. I am your host, John Burns. Appreciate you being with me today. Uh, this episode features a conversation between myself and Alex Leist. If you are uh, fairly new to the Parrothead Tropper Rock community, you might be wondering who Alex Leist is. Let me tell you, he is uh, pretty important when you talk about uh, how we got to the current day setup of of the Parrothead community, of the Tropper Rock community, and most especially Meeting of the Minds. And when I say Meeting of the Minds, I don't just mean the official PHIP functions at the Casa Marina, but I mean everything that goes on in Key West uh, at the end of October, beginning of November each year. Um, Alex Alex ran Meeting of the Minds as the PHIP Director of Conventions from 2000 to 2006. And uh, under his guidance, the, the blueprint that is used today was established. There's been some tweaks and changes to the uh, way Alex did things, most notably the uh, the absence of the street party but the basic blueprint of how things are set up at the casa the the setup of the weekend the schedule is is what alex came up with back in the early 2000s um we talk about the fact that when alex took alex took over meeting the minds it was the same year that the event moved to the casa marina um and and really blew up from an event that was attended by by less than 2,000 people to an event that was attended uh, at its height by over 3,000 people, um, probably closer to 4,000. So we talk about that. We talk about the process by which Alex uh, built the event and, and really changed it, in his words, from a convention of Jimmy Buffett fans into a music festival, which I think is definitely accurate. Um, we also talk about his relationship with a lot of different musicians, most notably Jim Morris. I enjoyed uh, hearing some of the backstory about how guys like Jim Morris and Sonny Jim first got into Meeting of the Minds, uh, the official event put on by PHIP. This was just a really interesting interview. It really goes into the the, uh, the history of Meeting of the Minds and uh, really the history of Trop Rock before it was called Trop Rock. Um, this might be my favorite interview that I have done as part of this uh, as part of this podcast. I really enjoyed it and. Uh, I think at some point Alex will definitely be back on to talk about the history more and talk about the music more. Uh, so next time you see Alex, uh, you know, Alex is, is he's quiet. He's a pretty quiet guy. Um, he's not not really involved with anything outside of his local uh, area anymore. Uh, he does regularly attend Meeting of the Minds. Uh, and I often have gotten to have a drink with him and a chat with him at Louie's backyard. But Alex is pretty much in the in the background now. He he stepped away. He talks about how he feels like everyone has a, sh- a shelf life, uh, especially an event like Meeting of the Minds. And he stepped away, but he's still around. So if you enjoy going to Key West uh, for Meeting of the Minds or Trapper Rock Week or whatever you want to call it, uh, if you ever get a chance to tell Alex thank you, buy him a drink, do so because... Uh, I'm not going to say the event wouldn't still be happening without him, but it probably would not have been been the the monstrosity and the uh, just it wouldn't be what it is today if it wasn't for Alex Leist and his uh, his vision and guidance that uh, that happened back in the early 2000s. So uh, here it is. Enjoy episode number 23. My conversation with Alex Leist. So the, I got into Buffett back in the mid 90s. Um, I was a huge and still am a huge Springsteen fan, not that they were politically, uh, tuned into each other, but I love them. Uh, and a couple of friends of mine said, if you ever want to go to a concert, that's 
as entertaining as Springsteen. Now Springsteen will play for three hours and, but if you want to go and have a good time at a concert and kick back, go to see Jimmy Buffett. So in 1995, I think it was, maybe whenever Fruitcakes came out, might've been 96, uh, I went to see him and I was hooked. Wow. And how quick did you make the connection between the concert experience and the Paradigm Clubs? Pretty quick. Uh, I, there was a Philadelphia Parrothead Club, which was run by a guy named Mark Schlesinger, who ended up working on the PHIP board with me and the Paradise Charitable Foundation board. Uh, great guy. Uh, and it was uh, about a 45-minute to an hour drive to do anything. So at one point I said, look, do you mind if I start a new club up here in New Jersey and, and like Allentown, Bethlehem, Easton? I don't know who knows that, but that area – Parrothead Club, because uh, it's a long drive to get down to you, and we're drinking our faces off. <laughs> so he said, look, you got my blessing. So I got in touch with PHIP, and we started, uh, could have started in 98, but I wanted to start it on January 1st. So we started the Pirates in Paradise Parrothead Club in West Central New Jersey and, and Lehigh Valley, PA in 1999. Uh, which was two years after I went to my first meeting of the mines, which was the last one in new Orleans. Wow. So you've been in the game for a long, long time. So, uh, what was, you know what? I've never asked anybody this. What was, uh, especially at that part, at that point, you were not involved, uh, as a helping run things. What was that transition like from new Orleans to Key West? I, nobody thought it would work. Uh, but the, the people who took over did a pretty good job. They did everything on the Hilton Pier. Um, so it was pretty self-contained. It was every, everybody stayed at the Hilton. Some people stayed off the property a little bit. Not anything like happens now. But most people stayed at the Hilton and uh, you just walked out and went out onto the pier and they had two days of music and uh, they closed down um green street in key west and buffett ended up showing in 99 98 i'm not sure what year it was i can't remember they all blend together and then he got all pissed off because they were sitting in front of sloppy joe's instead of margaritaville he says i'm not coming back unless we're in front of margaritaville which kind of helped the transition for me to move the stage to margaritaville eventually when i took over in 2020 or 2000, not 2000, 2000, 2000, 2000. <laughs> I just lost 20 years there. So uh, what you're calling the Hilton pier, um, what is that nowadays? Um, it's just, it's connected to Mallory square now. Okay. That's going, what I, I thought you were talking yeah. about. So, yeah. Yeah. There were two piers there and the, the, if the cruise ships came in, they had to leave by sunset or they would get fined. And Peter Mayer was playing on the stage in, 90, I think it was 99. It was 98 or 99. And he's doing Susanna when the sun goes down and the cruise ship wouldn't leave. So the entire pier pulled their pants down and was mooning the ship as it was leaving, saying you're a bunch of assholes because you're blocking the sun for Susanna for Peter Mayer. It was pretty oh funny. Oh, my God. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> Not everybody. <laughs> But everybody who had a decent ass did anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Wow. 
So, uh, so that was a pretty quick transition for me, for you from going to your first concert, joining a parody club, starting a parody club to taking over as director of conventions for meeting in the minds. I mean, how, how did that rocket ship happen? Well, I thought there'd be a lot of candidates and I volunteered. I said, if anybody ever steps down and, uh, within like 30 seconds, uh, the board, which was Nancy McMenemy and Pixie Messina, who's passed, uh, Nellie Carlin, who's passed, unfortunately, and a few other people were like, okay, you're it. Because they wanted, they, they did it in, the, in 98 and 99, and they wanted out. And they said, and I'm like, okay, well, this will be pretty easy. We'll do it down the Hilton Pier. And they said, oh, no, we got a contract for uh, this is place way up. It's about a mile away. It's called the Casa Marina. Uh, and I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do now? It's, it's a mile. <laughs> now people walk it and hit every bar down. But back then nobody knew what was going on and it was a lot more self-contained until I took over. And then things got a little, got way more, way less contained at the Casa Marina. And then PHI pre P tried to pull it back in and rein it in. Right back to the cast marina. So, did you have any experience in event production or anything like that at all, or did you just dive in? Blind? Just dove in, dove in, and I had some issues with the coral reefers the first year when I took over in 2000 because they knew me as one of the Jersey boys. There was a couple of us, uh, Fenton Drifty Moore, who passed away, everybody's passing away here, and Mark DeVoe. Uh, and we were just we would follow Buffett around and 96, seven, somewhere around there. And we went to a lot of concerts and we made friends with Utley and stuff like that. And they would get us backstage and we'd hang out, have a good time, go see the show. And they knew us as the drunk guys from New Jersey, basically. <laughs> so when I took over, had a bit of an issue because all the coral reefers kind of got together and said, well, this guy's just some drunk guy from Jersey. So, and we're not doing it down, down on Duval street. So God only knows what's going to happen. And thank God Mac McAnally wasn't swayed by it. I Everybody turned me down. Peter Mayer, Mike Utley, they all turned me down. And I'm like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? So I called uh, uh, Kurt Motley at uh, whatever the entertainment company is for Mac McAnally. And he said, hey, if you pay, he'll play. And uh, he came down. We had a great first year. And. They came up to everybody came back on board the next year when they realized that the drunk guy from Jersey wasn't always drunk <laughs> just at the shows, just at the shows. Oh. Yeah. So let me make sure I got this right. You taking over in 2000 coincided with the move to the Casa Marina. You got it. But that was not your decision. <laughs> not my decision. Correct. So so what did that look like in 1999? What was the general setup then? We were you were at the pier, which I think you're talking about the the property that has recently been Margaritaville. Is that what you're I talking think about? so? I don't know what it's called anymore. It's just connected. It's been like five different things. It was a Wyndham. It was everything. But yeah, it's connected to Mallory Square, and and it is the uh, the two big main the main hub for where the big cruise ships came in uh, or work are coming in. I think they actually told them they can't come in anymore. Although that I'm sure that'll change. But yeah, we went from there and the transition was just like, this is what you got and I'm done. So Nancy kind of, she was my, the, the director of conventions before me and she helped me out on the phone and everything. But 
She didn't even come down in 2000. It was me and we reelected or elected similar to what, what just went on with PHIP. There was a, a bit of a, uh, there was some mistrust in the board at the time. And uh, a lot of people that were on the board got voted off. And that's where Bill Page, Mark Schlesinger, me, Elizabeth, uh, trying to think who else, Drifty. So we all kind of came in the same year. I was there a year earlier earlier because I was the director of conventions and waiting. But the election happened and I walk in and here's Bill Page. I never met the guy before. And I'm like, okay, we got a quarter of a million dollar music festival we got to put on. Do you know what to do? And he's like, you do it and I'll write the checks. And uh, <laughs> so I, we had a site visit in May and I had a contact down there to kind of help me out. His name was Ray Larson. Great guy. Uh, and helped me like with the city and everything. Cause like I said, we're a mile away from downtown. So we had to, we rented vans. We, we, we had shuttles. We had all kinds of things. Actually, we made the Casa Marina do it. Um, so we could get people from the Casa Marina downtown because, as I said, I, back then it was, we went from very contained to wide open, which I kind of believed in to involve the city and get the city excited and you'll bring more people in. Right. Um, it might have started a thing that ended up hurting because people stopped registering, but I was We're going to talk about that later. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm babbling. That's fine. This is the good history, man. This is what, uh, you know, I, I've been uh, going to Meeting the Mind since 2006. I've missed a few years, but uh, my first year was 2006. I joined the Paradise Club in 2004. And by the time I made it to my first Meeting the Minds, which I think was your last one as director of conventions. Um, it was. Yeah. Man, like, I was amazed, you know, because the Casa Marina is this fortress of a place. You got a big stage set up among the palm trees next to the ocean you know, sand for your dance floor and uh, Jerry Jeff Walker was playing. So it was, uh, <laughs> you know, I and mean, Keith, like Keith it was Sykes a full blown music uh, festival. Larry Joe Taylor too. Yeah. You In know, the it, rain. <laughs> it, it was a, uh, it was a full blown music festival and uh, Scott yeah. Kirby recorded a live album that yeah. year. And uh, so, you know, in six years time, you took it from, uh, you know, I don't know how you want to describe what it was when you took over, but man, by the time I made it in 2006, it was uh, the real thing. You know? Yeah. It started out as a, as a convention for like-minded people and we turned it into a music festival. Uh, it, it's all it ever really was to me was uh, put on good music. And the way, the way meeting of minds was set up was never to make a profit. It was always to give back to the community or give back to the Parrothead clubs that donated their time and money locally. And this was only supposed to break even. Now we got to a point where we were registering 3,500 and, and 4,500 people were showing up, but registering 3,500 and we started making profits. So we're like, not that that's what our mission was, but we had to do something with the money. And that's where the donations started coming in. Uh, unfortunately that started, in my opinion, that started taking over what people started thinking. And, uh, I'm not sure if the bands were making as much money when now as when I, when I left, uh, or about the same. So 
again, I, uh, not that I want to, everybody's got their, there's a time shelf for people or a shelf life for people. And my time was up and I left and whatever they did is on them. And they, I, there it's, it's been good. They've had great entertainment there. Yeah. So what, uh, what was the attendance numbers like? When you took over, I, I know you referenced 2006. It was a sellout at 3,500. What was it when you first took over? Um, it was about 1,500, maybe 2,000. Uh, and then my first year went down. It, 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 I think we broke even at like 1,500 or uh, yeah, 1,500 people. And we ended up having maybe 18 to 2,000. So we made a little bit of money. Uh, and then once they, again, they realized this drunk guy from Jersey could handle himself. Uh, we went <laughs> way up almost immediately, uh, through hurricanes and moving venues over to the reach that one year because of the hurricane, uh, because the Casa Marina was closed down, probably one of our biggest auction years ever. Uh, and it stopped at my last year, we stopped at 3,500 and I sold out the last two years that I was there and that's 3,500 plus guests. So somebody like you, if you were down there with Jerry Diaz on their guest pass or, uh, uh, or any, any of the band members plus town people. So we probably at that point had somewhere around four to 4,500 when Jerry Jeff was there on the property. Wow. Uh, Talk about the year the hurricane happened. I th was that 2004? God, I can't remember. I just, it was somewhere in there. It was either four or five. And yeah. It was, it was awful. I mean, we, we went down and um, we basically, it was, I, I almost was looking at it like the pandemic this year. Cause I'm like, we made the decision basically a week before that we were going to go down. Not even a week. We're like sending emails out going, I'm going down myself to see how it is please don't anybody cancel. And when I got down there, it was devastating. Uh, I went down on a Sunday. The convention starts on a when, well, for me, it started on a Wednesday. Now it's Thursday or Friday, whatever it is. Um, and I got down and I'm like, well, somehow we're going to make this work because the city was so impacted and so devastated that they were just, and that was one of my concerns. I didn't want to impose on them. But everybody I talked to, the mayor and everything, and I went down and they're like, you know what? We're just glad for the distraction. And we brought 3,500 people down. Maybe 200 people canceled. Uh, and we moved the venue from the Casa Marina to the Reach, which was jammed up. We had a stage that when it was set up at high tide was in the water. Uh, not wow. intentionally, but it was <laughs> set up before it was in the, before it was high tide. Uh, Robert Greenwich was, I can't tell you the story about Robert Greenwich. No, no I can't. Uh, <laughs> let's just say he was playing on stage and there was some smoke coming out of his, uh, his uh, steel pan while the cops were standing right on the side of the stage. I don't know what that smoke was. It just must've been him banging those pans hard. He's, he, he's a hot pan player now. <laughs> <laughs> and Jim Morris came out and did his, his song that, that he had, he had had uh Oh, God, I can't think of the name of the darn thing. But it was about the hurricane that went through Charlotte Harbor and wiped out his music studio and went right up 
the Peace River and ripped a hole in that area the, the year before. So he had he had that uh, song in the bag, and I don't know why I can't think of the name of the song, but it was pretty pretty poignant for that that play down there. Yeah, and for for people who remember 2017, uh, similar situation, except Hurricane Irma hit Key West on September 10th, according to Wikipedia here. So there was about six or seven weeks for both the convention and the town to kind of get ready for meeting the minds. You had a lot, lot quicker turnaround after your hurricane. Oh, it was just something else. I, the, the, when we got down there, they had a very, very bad storm right after that. So they had the hurricane. We get down. We decide everything's going on. We're telling everybody, get on your airplanes, come down. And they had a really bad storm. And the power went out on the whole island. And there was about 10 of us that were hanging out trying to get things together, mostly my friends and maybe a couple of guys from PHIP. And John Frenzy happened to be down there. And he had the only, it was a Mackie, tack, not a Mackie, it was a taxi, uh, self-powered uh, amplifier. So he could plug a guitar, with two inputs, a guitar <laughs> and a microphone. And he sang for five, four or five hours at before the convention started, before anybody came down, it was probably a Tuesday or a Monday or a Tuesday, the whole Island's out. And we're sitting there having a private show with him at the, uh, at the reach, uh, just sitting there as, as the whole Island's out. And they're like, you know what, this is out from Miami down to here. We hope it's back for you guys for when the convention happens. And then it ended up coming back the next day. Wow. So uh, let's talk a few about it, some of the musicians you worked with. Um, and this is me. Um, I have become pretty good friends with, with Dennis and Sue McCaughey over the years. Um, but I think three bands to me, as somebody who doesn't know you very well at all, um, your connection to three bands, Jim Morris and the Big Bamboo, Jimmy and the Parrots, and then Dennis McCaughey and Tropical Soul. Um, am I correct in assuming that those are probably th- your top three of not or at least close to your top three bands that you were really enjoyed both musically and personally close to? Well, uh, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts and there is a Rushmore question that I don't want to over answer later, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Jim Morris, uh, I got kind of, I, when you told me we were doing this, I got this, uh, I, I listened to your latest podcast at the time, which was Jim Hain for about two and a half seconds. And I'm going, I can't do this. <laughs> Jim Hain is such a, he's such a, he, he's everywhere. His mind goes everywhere. He's so musical. He could tell you who played bass on some band so far away. And I, I, I said, let me go through the people that were on here. And I hit Mark Friedman and I'm like, ah, I could relate to him. He's a schlub like me. So I listened to his podcast and it was, it was good because it gave me some ideas here and uh i forgot where we were going here uh uh talking so the about jim, the jim morris thing yeah so in 1990 90 let me think about this the first year in key west it was 1998 i had never met jim morris i sent a jim hayne had a little newsletter out and he goes, this guy in the, in the, in Florida here has got a pretty good record out. It was called uh, um, laid back and key wasted, I think was his first one. So I called up Jim 
and uh, I, I was the internet was there, but it wasn't like it is now. So I think I called him on the phone and I said, "Do me a favor. I'll send you a check for the fifteen bucks. Send me whichever song, whichever album you want." He had laid back and key wasted and coconuts. So he sent me coconuts. I think. So it's like asking him to pick a child. He has two records and which one's going to be his favorite. Right. So he sent me that. And then, and I'll always, I always tell people this now, people who, who uh, say, how come you can't get me a gig and stuff like this uh, back when I was doing it. And I'd say, you know, about a, two weeks later, I get a, an envelope in the mail and I still have it here. God rest his soul. And it said, Alex, no charge for this. If you like it, tell people. If you don't like it, don't tell anybody. <laughs> so that was, so he sent me his second record. So I called him up and I said, look, I got a, the Jersey boys. We had a, we had a party every year. It was called the Jersey boys list serve party turned into the paradise charitable foundation party that ended up being pretty big with Jim Morris, Sonny Jim, John frenzy, Dennis played it tropical or, uh, uh, Tall Paul played it. Um, St. Somewhere played it. My buddy up here, Jake Kish, and his sister played it, Annie. Um, and I said, look, I, I, I can't pay you a dime, but I'll pass a hat. So do you want to jump in your car, drive all the way down to Key West for no money, guaranteed no money unless I can pass a hat? <laughs> and he goes, you know what? I'm in. So we did it at Turtle Crawls in 1998. We had such a good turnout. PHIP at the time allowed me to advertise it. So it was on a Thursday morning. So PHIP's event didn't start until uh, Thursday night, Friday, somewhere in there. Yeah. So we had, we packed the place, passed the hat. He made a bunch of money. And I met him an hour before the show at Pepe's. We had some breakfast. And I said, I don't know what I'm doing. And he goes, I don't know what I'm doing. He brought him and his, his uh, conga player, Conga Dave, at the time. Hasn't been with him for a year. Well, nobody's with him anymore, unfortunately. Um, but uh, so that's how Jim and I started. And then uh, there was when I was at G uh, Sharon Morris asked me to speak at his memorial. And uh, one of the things that I remember very, very vividly was way afterwards, my, my daughter goes, you know, I always hated it when you invited these guys up. Jim Morris, Sonny Jim, you know, to, to stay. And the whole big bamboo band would stay at my house for a week because they'd go use my house for free and go play places. Right. And she goes, it was always an imposition. And now she's 30 and having a baby and everything. And a couple of years ago, she goes, you know, I never, I never really, uh, I, I, it always annoyed me, but boy, what a great experience and getting to know those guys and, uh, she goes, as much as I hated it, I, I really appreciate it now. And, uh, my son, I don't know if he feels the same way. I didn't talk to him about it, but uh, it, we just did whatever we could, you know, come up, play, stay here. That's the way you did it back then. I, you know, you were talking to Mark Friedman. That's what we did. Yeah. If you want somebody to play up here, you're going to get them 200 bucks. You better give them a place to stay and feed them and get them drunk and get them drunk <laughs> in the morning and. Hope they don't crash your van or car on the way out. I hope that uh, one day my kids say something similar about Jerry Diaz or the girls from Drop Bed Dangerous or Donnie Brewer or somebody like that. Because my kids have spent a lot of time around some of these musicians just like yours did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they might not realize it now, but they will.
It was pretty special. Yeah. So, I mean, had, so that was Jim's first time playing. I guess that was an official meeting of the minds, but his first time playing more or less meeting of the minds. And then did he ever he play the convention? My first gig in Key West. Gotcha. So did he play the convention officially before you took over or not until? Nah, they didn't want him. <laughs> they didn't want him in 99 for some reason. And uh, so, but in 2000, that's when uh, some guy out in freaking Grand Cayman uh, and, and uh, I'm talking to him and I'm talking to Jim and I'm like, you know, you guys, you guys are similar in certain ways. Um, and I, and I don't know, you know, I got this big stage and I got big bands playing from California and all over the place and, and, and Atlanta and everything. I said, do you guys want to open it? And Sonny Jim's like, well, who am I opening it with? And I said, Jim Morris. And he goes, absolutely. And I said to Jim Morris, I said, you want to open it? And he goes with who? I said, James White. And he goes, who's he? Why would I want to open it with him? And I said, because I'm paying you. He goes, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> uh, did you ever meet Jim Morris? I, I, yes, I met him several times and I think I did two shows with him uh, when he came to party Girl, Uh but I probably didn't spend 10, 15 minutes talking to him grand total. You know, so. He's a, he was a, he had a very dry sense of humor and, a lot of stuff. He was a businessman before he was a musician. And if it was a good business decision, just like him coming down playing for free, that got him quite a few gigs over the years at, at Meeting of the Minds, not just because of me, but because uh, not because of me, because of his talent. Right. Which I say a lot of people have come up to me many times and said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm like, don't thank me. If you sucked, you wouldn't be up here because <laughs> I wouldn't hire you. Yeah. I'll tell you my Jim Moore story. Uh, party girl this is probably at i don't know 2010 11 somewhere in there uh he was playing sunday morning brunch for us so he got into town early saturday afternoon gets down to bourbon street and the street party is going on hannah reefs on stage and uh, i've got the set list and back then we would kind of play the first set like as a straight ahead jerry diaz hannah's reef show the second set would become like a jam session we'd get all the other musicians up doing songs so i've got the set list and i'm going around okay you want to come up here and sing on this, you know, and uh, Jim Hain was already, you know, scheduled to go on stage with the band for LA freeway. So somebody brings Jim Morris backstage and, you know, he's like, I'm supposed to talk to you about getting up and singing a song. And I'm like, yes, sir. Here, here's a set list. What, what do you want to do? I'm sure he picked LA freeway. He said, well, I'd really like to sing LA freeway, <laughs> but, you already got Jim Hain written down here. And this is as Jim Hain is walking past us to go on stage because the song's about to start. And I said, I said, it's all right. Get up there. And he goes, but Jim's doing it. And I said, uh, I said, there's three versions of that song. Get your ass on stage. And as I'm saying this, I thought, you just told Jim Morris to get his ass on stage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he appreciated it. And, uh, and, and back then, the way it worked was Jerry didn't, didn't really know what was. He had the set list, but he didn't know who was coming up. Like that was all me, you know, he would just turn oh, around. Surprise. He'd just turn around, look <laughs> over his shoulder and go, okay, Don Middlebrook's up here. Now we're going to, you know, and, and go with uh, it. Right. So I walk out on stage and he turns around and sees Jim Hain and Jim Morris. And I pointed at Jerry and I said, you start it. Pointed at Jim Hain said, you take the second verse. Pointed at Jim Morris said, you take the third verse. And I think Jim Morris had probably never had anybody must have someone without a bit of talent tell him what to do on stage like that before because the look he gave me was like who in the hell are you 
Oh, he had he had me tell him a lot of times to do stuff, and I got no talent. So yeah, but he knew who you, you were. were. On I mean, the same page, yeah. <laughs> that, that's uh, my Jim Moore story, you know. So yeah, yeah. that's a good one. It's a good one. So uh, let's talk about uh, Jim Morris kind of leads you to Jerry Jeff Walker. You you got to do Buffett a couple times, I think, and Jerry Jeff once. What was? Yeah, you know? yeah. I got uh, Buffett um, was there in 98 or 99. I can't remember. We talked about that a little earlier. That was before my time. And then uh, I got him. He the, it, One of the things he said was, I, I'm not playing here again if I play in front of Slappy Joe's. It's not my bar. So that took us, led us to close the street at Margaritaville, and it got more and more difficult because we had to have a charitable foundation. That's one of the startings of the Paradise Charitable Foundation. We had to have somebody sponsor the event as a charitable foundation to close the street and all that kind of stuff. So we, we got together and, um, and closed the street, and it, there was a guy named Ray, Ray Massiero, who, again, all these people are passing away. He just passed away very recently. Used to run Margaritaville, and then corporate came over, came in, and took, there's no Margaritaville anymore, if you ask me, uh, except, for on, except for on stage. You know, some of those guys, uh, the people that are close to Jimmy are still with him, uh, Mike Ramos, J.L. Jameson, but there's no Margaritaville anymore. Uh, it's all corporate. Uh, but uh, he, he took over – he helped me get everything done. And, you know, I'm there for a week in May and we got to close the street. And I had my treasurer come down because we didn't know what the heck we were getting into uh, Bill Page. And uh, we got, somehow we got it done and we closed the street. So we're like, okay, we closed the street. You better show up. <laughs> so he did. I, I can't remember what year it was. 2000. I, I don't even know. I'd have to look it up. Uh, but he came there and then the next time he came to the Casa Marina, which was sweet because nobody knew he was coming except for me and Bill Page and, uh, and uh, Joe Cuervo, our security guy. Uh, there are three of us knew, but uh, nobody else knew it. And they asked us to keep it quiet. And my wife didn't know it. My in-laws were with us. Nobody knew he was coming. All wow. I did was say, I did say to my in-laws and my wife, I said, make sure you come out of the Casa Marina Hotel and watch And about this time. That's the biggest hint we gave them. And uh, we try kind of let it go a little bit at the club leaders brunch. It's like, uh, if, if your members are around, I highly recommend they're here at this particular time. And the Casa Marina show was sweet. The uh, Margaritaville show was good, but Jimmy was got so drunk on the stage with uh, St. Somewhere the night before that he was just, I walked up to him. I'm like, how you doing? He goes, he just looked at me and he's like, <laughs> ready to throw up. <laughs> and he, he got out there and there was, I mean, I'm looking at this was uh, don't stop the carnival 2011. He looks great on stage. He's got a Brown hat packed all over the place. The guy felt like shit. Uh, he put on a great show, but felt like shit. And then uh, maybe that wasn't that one. I don't know. No, 2000, that wasn't 2011. It was another time. Anyway, he had a really good time, uh, put on a good show, and then he's leaving. He goes, I got to get out of here. I'm sick as a dog. Next time at the <laughs> Castle Marina was really, 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 really special because it, it was just to us. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it was for us and just for us. And there, I, that was, we had, 
probably, we had 3,500 people there. He did an acoustic set. Uh, he interrupted Peter Mayer on his set uh, and did two hours maybe and did an acoustic set. It was really, really good. Um, and then he came back in 2011 on the street again and then again at the Casa Marina. So 2011, I, I recorded. I didn't, uh, I wasn't a part of PHIP, but I was able to record the whole thing and actually have a record, a full record of it uh, from the entire, entire performance, uh, which I can't do anything with. Although I did release a, I did release a couple of the songs on uh, live, the live from uh, Key West, Road to Key West, I think it was. So let's talk about that. I mean, yeah. that's a lot of work to, that's a lot of, I had put together a compilation CD before, and it's a lot of work just to take the, uh, you know, take the masters off the, the studio records, but you recorded it live. So. Yeah, I did a, a yearly charity CD, DVD CD. And I always, I just, somehow I got into recording. I don't know. I, I don't even know how I did it. Uh, John Frenzy said, look, you know, you can do this with this little thing. And I, I went online, I was doing all kinds of stuff and I probably spent five grand on a, on a on a 48 track uh recording system that i could carry with me now i needed a dolly to do it it wasn't something like, like now every, now every soundboard has a full recording you can get a perfect recording out of the soundboard and i'm like okay i had to buy a, a snake so i could have a, you know all 48 tracks and when buffett's on stage he's got 48 tracks or 47 yeah. So I had to have all those plugged in and get a complete separate feed. So I wasn't interrupting the show because the last thing you want to do is have, oh, well, wait a minute. You know, this idiot's trying to record and his levels are screwed up. So let's inter interrupt the, uh, the live experience for the band. So, I, you know, I did, I did just about everything. Everything I could record, I recorded. I had people record for me. And... Uh, was able to put together a couple live CDs. The first CD I did all in my basement. I remember uh, Sue and Dennis McCaw, you don't live far from me. Well, they, it's an hour or so. And they came over for a New Year's Day party. And she's like, I, I, I need to see her where you're doing this stuff. And we <laughs> went down. And she, I'm down in my basement or it's a fourth bedroom in, the, in a bio level. So it's kind of like a basement. And she got, she's just like, I, I, this is where the magic happens. And I'm like, magic. I, I'll tell you, I don't know if you ever recorded anything before, but, you know, you get these really great studio speakers and you hear how beautiful it sounds. You record it, put it on a rec on a CD, take it into your car and it sounds like crap. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, how do you make this sound good on? So you just got to keep mixing and mixing and mixing until it sounds good on the big stat sounds that system and then sounds good in the car because 99% of the people are listening in the car. Yep. So the best thing I ever did, though, was to send it out and get it mastered because uh, they just they just did a w wonders on it. And both of them came out really good. Well, that is cool. I mean, like I said, uh, having put together a compilation album. That's a lot of work, but I cannot imagine recording it and then mastering it, mixing it. That's a hell of a lot of work. But uh, I've heard Especially it for a guy. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but I guess I had a good enough ear, you know, yeah. like uh, John Frenzy used to live right by me and he'd be like, I don't know what you're doing. You're crazy. And all of a sudden he'd be like, you know, it doesn't sound half bad. 
I'm like, I got a pretty good ear. You know, it might have taken me three days to get one song down that or somebody <laughs> knew what they were doing. Could have got down in an hour, but hey, it was fun. When it wasn't fun anymore, I stopped doing it. Yeah. So when you when Buffett came, who were you talking to in his camp? Ramos or? Yeah, Ramos, it was just Ramos and me and uh, Bill Page and uh, and uh, Joe. Yeah. Cool. And then uh, I guess your crown jewel uh, as meeting the minds director was bringing in Jerry Jeff in 2006. Jerry Jeff was a, was a challenge. It was a very big challenge. I tried to get him for many years and, um, and uh, Susan Walker was like, you know, he wants, I, I think it was 10 grand. I, I don't know, but it just was a lot of money. It was way more than we were paying anybody. I, it, Maybe it was more than 10. Maybe it was, it was probably every year I asked her, it probably went up a thousand dollars. And, and she's like, I promise you, it'll have a good thing. And uh, so I, I just kept working on it and I knew it was my last year and we had it in the, we had some money left over from the year before. And I'm like, you know what? I'm, I think we can make this happen, even if it's too much money. And I remember a conversation first off, Dennis almost let Jerry, lit Jerry Jeff Walker's, uh, hat on fire you have to ask him about that oh god yeah i do <laughs> backstage but i it was pouring rain and i remember calling keith sykes up and keith going i don't, I don't want to play with with larry joe anymore i want my own gig and i called larry joe and larry joe's like you know it's if the first last couple of years were great but i really like my own gig and i go well you know what i don't care how you do it i got about two hours before jerry jeff goes on and they're like what i said jerry jeff's i got jerry jeff I don't care if you guys play together or separated. I want you guys, you two to be on before him because I don't know where the hell Keith Sykes from, but he seems like he's from Texas. He's Memphis. a Texas guy. He's hangs out with Larry Joe and all those guys. And, and whatever, wherever he's from, he's in my mind, he's a Texas guy. So I'm like, I need this Texas connection, even though Jerry Jeff's from New York and I don't know where Larry Joe's probably the only one that's actually from Texas. But uh, so he, so they they were like, yeah, let's do it. So then it's pouring rain and, and poor Keith Sykes is out there playing the harmonica, trying to keep things. And the, the place is packed in the yeah. pouring rain. And I get a call from Jerry Jeff and he's like, well, are we doing it? And I said, well, Keith's playing and Larry Joe's getting ready to go on. I, he was staying at the reach and we were at the Casa. He goes, I'll be right over. And uh, he came over and, kicked ass the one thing i remember other than dennis trying to light his hat on fire was he said uh he said uh, i just got word from this guy who's in buffett's band i think his name's mac macalary uh <laughs> jim jimmy's not coming so we get to do our own gig and uh that this old harmonica player called fingers he's uh he's in so we're gonna work him in so fingers walks in the door and uh john frenzy i think john frenzy was playing in between something or actually John frenzy was setting up to play after Jerry Jeff Walker at, in a little patio area and fingers walks up to, to, uh, to Johnny goes, I'm playing with you. Right. He's like, uh, fingers. No, you're playing with Jerry Jeff Walker on the big stage and they're waiting for you. So he had to run over and, uh, fingers played with Jerry Jeff. It was, it was quite a show. Quite yeah, a show. I think people who, uh, who have come around into this community in the last 10, 12 years don't understand at this point, we're talking about 2000, you know, 
the first six. Yeah, six. But I mean, that time period, like 2000 to 2008 or nine, Gary Jeff was probably the number two guy for most people after Buffett. You know, he was he was really big in this community. Um, It's just hard to explain to folks who who haven't been around long enough how big. Yeah, just tell them to go listen to Cowboy Boots and Bathing Suits. That was probably his biggest uh, uh, musical kind of genre to listen to, to to kind of hit. Buffettish, but he if you go back him and well everybody knows the jerry jeff story but his texas roots and it, it changed he helped change him and todd snyder and you know listen to larry joe and all those guys really it was it was it got me into texas yeah it got I mean, me away from putting a convention on that was all from florida that's for sure <laughs> i mean that's you know i guess in retrospect that's part of the reason i ended up in texas i i don't know if you know this but i, I grew up in arkansas i was president of the northwest arkansas Paradise club in fayetteville arkansas until i moved to texas to work for jerry diaz you know there you go um, good so yeah i i guess i can blame at least some of it on jerry jeff <laughs> yeah so well if not jerry jeff the other jerry, jerry there, yeah, yeah there you go <laughs> so uh, i want to i want to kind of start moving away from the history and your personal experiences and uh and kind of talk about uh some of the stuff that's happened in the community uh in the past year or so i think that you are uh in a unique position to offer some insight and opinion um into things because of your history with meeting the minds and everything um also, you know, we haven't mentioned this. You were vice president of PHIP as well. Um, yes. Yeah. Quite a while. In fact, I thought when, when I first got involved, I thought that the vice president ran meeting of the minds. Well, he did. <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, I thought it was, it was like me. signed, you know, <laughs> when, when, uh, when you left the board, I just assumed whoever was coming in to be the next vice president was going to run meeting the minds. I thought that was the way it worked, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, I think you have, you know, position and she could have because that was Peggy Wright. We talked about Peggy Wright earlier. She could have run Meeting of the Minds. Yeah, she she definitely had the chops to run Meeting of the Minds because uh, she ran Riddles in the Sand here in Galveston for a long time. That was a great, great event. Um, so I want to make a couple things clear here. Uh, some terms that I'm about to use, and feel free to correct me if you don't agree with these. I want to use the terms Jimmy Buffett fans. To describe people who go to concerts, listen to Radio Margaritaville, but are not in a sanctioned club. I'm going to use the term parrothead to describe people who are in sanctioned parrothead clubs. And I'm going to say trop rock fans for people who may or may not be in a sanctioned parrothead club, but probably have more loyalty towards the independent artist than Buffett. Um, just as I'm talking here, p- people can yeah. straight. Um, Sounds fair. I really feel like when I got involved 2005, 2006, which was your heyday that the overlap between the parrot head world and the trap rock world was 75, 80%, you know, um, does that sound right to you? Yeah. I think everybody, I mean, everybody was receptive to the Jim Morris's and Sonny Jim's and, and John frenzies and, and whoever Coco Loco. I mean, there were just bands all over the place from California, Joe Rathburn, yeah, I mean, it, it was, they were, it was Buffett, 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 but they weren't afraid. At least I wasn't afraid. That was my whole thing. I don't need a bunch of cover bands. I want to bring out people who are singer-songwriters that have the same flavor. So I think that there was a lot of that at the time. Yeah, but I do feel, you know, and we're talking about a 15-year time period now, that, yeah. that slowly 
the cross. I mean, there's still a lot of crossover. Don't get me wrong, but there's definitely the crossover has definitely gotten smaller and smaller over the years. And I think that's part of the reason that got us to some of the, you know, unpleasantness of summer 2020, um, not COVID related. (laughs) (laughs) So let me ask you this. Um, It's been told to me by a couple of different artists that, well, first off, let me say this. When I, when I first came to Meeting the Minds in 2006, I remember asking, I think I asked Connie Gray, or maybe I asked Peggy, one of the two. Um, they were kind of my mentors before I started working with Jerry. Um, I said, who the hell is this Jim Morris guy, and why does he get to play three or four shows at Meeting of the Minds? And, uh, and they were like, oh, it's Jim Morris. Like, you know, like he's, he's God. And, and they're not all at Meeting of the Minds. See, this one's at, at, uh, at Hog's Breath on Wednesday night, and this one's at Schooner's Wharf on Sunday. And I was like, well, they're all listed in the program. So to me, this seems like he's playing Meeting of the Minds four times, you know. Um, and you, you alluded to this earlier, that you really took Meeting the Minds and spread it out all over Key West, not just the Casa. Um, was that a, I mean, what was your thinking behind that process? What was your goal? Well, I mean, I was scared the first year because I thought people wanted to be downtown. So I got, and, and I think I said a little earlier, I wanted to get the town involved because there's nothing better than getting the town involved and getting them behind you. So my idea was those guys got their own gigs. Jim Morris got his own gigs at the Hogs Breath and stuff like that. But I always advertised them. Yeah. So I'm like, this is what's going on here. So Jim Hain might have been at the Cass Marina hired by us while somebody was at, uh, at uh, Rick's Dirty Harry's and uh, St. Somewhere was at Margaritaville and Jim Morris was over at the Conk Farm or Schooner Wharf. So I figured, let's tell everybody what's going on. Now, that uh, after I left, that didn't seem to be the way they wanted to go. You know, Peter Mayer played with Scott Kirby, one of the best shows of the uh, w- we didn't pay for. We had nothing to do with They did the, at the uh, Pier House. They had an outdoor show on a stage where it was just Peter Mayer and Scott Kirby before they were really, they were just barely friends. And I advertised that. We advertised it. We said, this is what's going on. So uh, while Jim Morris was playing four places, he put his... He came down and played for free and got his foot wet and, and started getting into places on his own. So I was never afraid to advertise that. So if tall Paul and Christy were playing the, over at the bottle cap bar, they were on my schedule. Right. Uh, Again, that changed after, after I left, I'm not knocking them for doing that. Uh, But uh, that wasn't my philosophy. My philosophy was, Beg people to register. Say, look, if you don't register, lay a little guilt trip on people. If you don't register, none of this is going to happen. Although yeah. you guys proved last year that you can still do it without PHIP, but it was a smaller, smaller venue, smaller, oh, yeah. so much smaller. But yeah, so I, I just find it interesting. You know, so it was very much a conscious decision on your choice to to have all these other shows around town. Uh, around the official convention stuff and you know i remember going down there the first time and everybody saying you know there's great shows at the casa there's you know concerts at the casa really right but then there's all this other fun stuff in the bars and uh you know 
I remember that first year or two before before I I was just there as a as a drunk kid basically thinking how cool that was <laughs> you know <laughs> there's these concerts and then there's these bar shows and all this stuff and uh you know somewhere along the way like you said uh the philosophy on that with the people in power changed and uh it's interesting uh so oh, here's the funny thing uh I've had people ask me last last summer when everything was just kind of going to hell they were like how come uh how come that one year they used a Jim Morris song as a theme, but they didn't have Jim Morris play? I wasn't there. It wasn't me. <laughs> I said the same thing. <laughs> and and I, had, I totally forgot there was there was a convention chair between you and Charlotte. Um, I can't even uh, think of the guy's name now. But uh, uh, Bill, Bill. Yeah, Bill. Something. I don't. I, should, I, I don't even want to say it now because I just dissed that that whole thing. <laughs> but uh, it annoyed the crap out of me. But but I was I was you know people were asking me that and I was going there's no way in hell that Alex made that mistake yeah, and no. I'm pretty damn sure there's no way Charlotte made that mistake so what the hell happened and finally Miss P told me no there was somebody in there in between them and I was yeah. like oh, okay that makes well sense. you know yeah. after listening to you talk and you just said you know Jim Morris was playing four gigs and it appeared that way it really wasn't true although it appeared that way right so Bill probably said you know what Jim's playing his own stuff anyway. So uh, I, I, he wanted to back off. He wanted his own identity, which is fine. It's fine. Yeah. And he ended up doing okay. Uh, the shows were okay. He had, a, he had a couple of good years there. Uh, so I kind of think that's probably what his thinking was. Uh, and, and the thinking, yeah. I mean, I totally get that line of thinking, but don't use bar stools and beach chairs as your theme and yeah. not have Jim Morris on the big stage. <laughs> Trust me. I was uh, – it, I, that definitely came up in many conversations with Bill, even though I wasn't on the board anymore. I still had his email, yeah. his phone number. So uh, what do you think about the way that uh, they've got it lined up now with co-chairs uh, with Rob Hill and uh, Bill Conley? How do you oh, feel about that? I, I, I wish them the best. I don't know either one of them. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I, when I first started, I'm like, you know what? I'm scared to death. Don't know what I'm doing. I think I called, uh, ah, who did I call? Ah, I can't remember now. But I, I almost put a music committee together because, um, oh, Don Walker. It was Don Walker. I was going to have Don Walker and me pick out the music. And within 10 minutes, I'm like, I can't do this. I need to do it myself. I need to be in control. Not yeah. to be a control freak, but it was just easier. And then uh, when Bill DeWalt took over, there was another guy that was with him and we had both of them taken over. And the, the other guy, uh, which will remain nameless, um, although uh, there's no reason for that. His name was Wayne Myers. And I think he felt the same way. Right now he's in like St. Lucia or something. He's, he's one of the, he, he was a big guy in the Atlanta Parrothead Club. Great guy. And he's like, I just don't know if I can do this with somebody else. I can't, I can't put up with the input. Yeah. So it's gonna, I think it's going to be tough. But if these guys are tight, it can work. Uh, and I wish them the best because that's, that's a tough one. Because you, you got to make decisions on the fly. And, you know, they got some time here. But uh, I, hope, I wish them the best. Again, I don't know, really know either one of the two. So you can tell me if you think it's going to work. We'll find out. <laughs> well, I'll say this. Bill Connolly's been running music on the Bay for a long time. So the man knows how to run an event. There's no doubt. Yeah, about I've that. heard that. 
absolutely. I, like I said, I got confidence in both of them. Everybody I've talked to, and I don't have a lot of people in there anymore, but they're both, they're both great guys. Every musician I've talked to, so they're both great guys. So uh, I'm, it's just tough. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I mean, as someone who runs events myself, um, things just happen a lot faster when you don't yeah. have to to hash everything out right now you know we're planning party girl party girl got moved from january to april and this is the first year of a two-year process of jerry handing the event over to me danielle and casey Mm. Um, so this so instead of jerry making up a bunch of decisions and occasionally asking my input on music or mary's input on this pretty much everything is a vote between five people right now (laughs) and it's taken so much longer you know (laughs) oh absolutely to make everything happen uh because uh, you know, it's this process of handing it over. Um, and that leads me to another thing you, you mentioned earlier, you know, that everybody has a shelf life. Um, <clears throat> did, did you, were you feeling pressure that it was time to get out of meeting the minds or was just something that you knew inside or was it a combination? Yeah, no, it was no pressure. They wanted me to stay. Uh, I wanted to stay, but I knew it was time. I mean, I, I think I said this earlier too, when I stopped I, nobody makes any money with this stuff. I never right. made a dime. Um, and when it stops being fun and you're not making any money, it now becomes a job that you're not making any money out. So why the hell are you going to do it? Now, I still enjoyed the the stage life. I, I, I think you do too, the backstage mm-hmm. area, the dealing with the sound people. Those are my people more than the front of the house people, the people that are coming to watch the show that are all fucked up, drunk, and you're back there working your ass off trying to get everybody in line and make sure everything works out right. Those guys are my people. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the musicians. But, you know, confrontations with people and stuff like that get to the point where it's like, you know what? If it's not fun anymore, step down. So I think there should be term limits on anything. I just do. I, I, you know, the, the, the treasure that was my treasure was Bill Page. His, his, the treasure after that was Charlotte uh, or Charlene. And she did a really good job. We had a lot of trouble with PHIP before those two took over. So I trust both of those guys, those two very, very much so, but they were there for Bill was there for five or six years and, and Char was there for what ten? I don't know. It's a long yeah, time. Long time. Long time. And and you get you get stuck in relationships and things with with people that are on the board, people that aren't on the board. And sometimes term limits are a good thing. That's why you know the government does that. Yeah, I, I think term limits, especially because it's interesting. You this didn't necessarily apply to you. It kind of did, I guess. Um, director of conventions is not an elected position. So correct. And I think that was part of the problem uh, with with the regime that just went out of power was a lot of people had problems, but there was no way to remove that person, you know, and uh, in the case of meeting of the minds, um, you know, party girl, party girl is Jerry's to do whatever he wants to with it, run it into the ground, ruin it. The luau is Tom Shepard's to do whatever he wants to with it. Um, Meeting of the minds is everybody's. Correct. You. Uh, Mother Hen. Now you got Rob and and uh, Bill. You're you're the caretakers. You're the custodians. But it's not you know you have a lot of leeway. But it's not yours just to, to do whatever you want to with indefinitely. You know. So 
That's my two cents. I, I think there should be term limits on everything in PHIP, but most especially uh, director of conventions. So that that's true. The only thing is, at some points in time, nobody wants to take over. Uh, it was good that there are people that want to take over. Yeah, I, th- I think in your time, back you know, fifteen years ago, that probably was a problem. I think nowadays there's ten to fifteen people that I think are trusted. I mean, tried and true. They've ran right. events. They know what they're doing now. You know, um, and I'll I, trust you on that because it's. Uh, I mean, when I was there, it was a. Uh, well, by the time I left, there was a half million dollar operation. You know, it's five hundred thousand or more. Yeah, for every for between entertainment and hotel and all that stuff. So that's not your local. Let's go to the bar down here and put on a show. I mean, I know party gras like that. I'm, I don't know if it's that that much. Yeah, we're, but, we're not that big. You know, you can't but, fit three thousand uh, people in the first. I don't floor. know what I don't know what meeting of the minds is now anymore. But it was getting up there to a half a million dollars a year, not budget, but event. Um, yeah. So if you get you like I said, you know better than I do. These people that are out there, as long as they can handle that, and you got, I, I'm praying the treasurer that took over has some experience, and it wasn't a popularity contest. Uh, hopefully, the people that are running for treasurer are smart enough to know that they're there. You know, there's been three audits with PHIP. One was self indulged or self induced by us way back in the day. Actually, I guess there was two. Uh, so somebody's got to be in that position that knows what they're doing and, and is upfront and really, really careful. Yeah. Let me put it that way. Well, let me, uh, I want to get on to the uh, rapid fire questions that I know that you've, uh, you've uh, <laughs> done your homework on already, but one more question for you uh, yeah. going forward in the next few years, what do you think that the way to, to coexist with these kind of two different factions, the, the hardcore paired heads and, and the more trap rock fans, what's the way forward for those two groups to coexist, especially when it comes to Key West and meeting of the minds. Cause I think most of the, you know, everybody 51 weeks out of the year, everybody's on the same page. It seems like it's that one week where 95% of the problem happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Just be inclusive. Uh, I thought, I thought, uh, Again, the, the the main reason that I I went out beyond the Casa Marina was because I couldn't hire everybody that needed to be hired. And I don't want to say that I could I could have Jimmy and the Parrots come down, uh, but they got five band members, five flights, plus Mary Beth that books them, um, and they're going to do it for one gig, and nobody make money or lose money. Because, I mean, there is limitations to what you can pay. Right. So to be able for them to go somewhere else and play to offset the, 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 the fees, I think I just hope the new guys can and, and gals, whoever's on there, can understand that and embrace the fact that, and not, that you can't come down and play one gig. You got to get other gigs. You know, Dennis and Sue got the or Dennis and, and Heather got the. The Hog's Breath gig. Uh, John Frenzy plays wherever, uh, you know, uh, at, at uh, Smoke and Tuna. And that transition's tough. I, I don't know. Yeah. All right, man. Let's talk about your, uh, let's, let's do some rapid fire. So, all right. What is your uh, favorite Jimmy Buffett song? 
That's a tough one. But I think because of the, uh, the fact that he didn't write it and I knew the song before, before it was Buffett sang it as Bama Breeze. I can't think of the guy, Josh Kerr. I think Josh Kerr wrote that song with a, with a bunch of guys. Bama Breeze. Good song. So you knew that song before Buffett did it? Well, Josh Kerr had a record out before uh, that, and uh, he got together. I think I did. I'm not sure if I knew it. At this, he, it definitely, he wrote the song mm-hmm. with a couple of his friends in Nashville, and his, his father was a big uh, Buffett fan. So he wrote, they wrote a tropical album and for, because of his father's love for Jimmy Buffett, and Bamba Breeze was one of the songs. And whoever got it. Jimmy changed, I think, one one or two words in it. One of it is that Lulu gets up on the bar and sings instead of the bartender gets up on the bar and sings or the owner or whatever. So it's pretty interesting. Go back and listen to it if you can. I think it was Josh Kerr's his name. It's hard to find. I'm about to say, I didn't know that it. it had been – I knew Jimmy didn't write it, but I didn't know that it had been cut before Buffett did yeah, it. So. It was either cut before – I think he cut it on a record that they – sent out to they were their songwriters so it was a songwriter it's pretty cool i'll have to check that out all right up next what is your uh i'll tell you what next time we go to lulu's not lulu's (laughs) next time we go to louis what am i buying you to drink what's your favorite cocktail oh geez just a really a beer i'm a beer guy ah i'm easy All right, I think I know which way you're going to go with this one, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Kenny Chesney or Bob Marley? Oh, I call him Kenny Cheesney, Cheesy, so because he stole everything from Buffett and Buffett embraced it. <laughs> I can't figure that out. But so I'm going to go Bob Marley. You'd think I was going the other way, didn't you? No, I, I had a feeling you were going to go old school and go Bob Marley. So I like Kenny Chesney. He's done a lot of good stuff, but he's, I call him Kenny Cheesy because he stole everything from Buffett. <laughs> and I can't argue with it because Buffett embraces him. Yeah. Have you ever heard his uh, Be As You Are album? I, I, I probably have, but I don't know. Check what, it what out. Is, uh, it, it, it's all acoustic, laid back. Oh, that's I, that I'd like to say. I, I call it the best Buffett album ever made because uh, it, it didn't he he probably put his own money into it. it it didn't get a big publicity push and it was like put out right. between two of his big big records uh it's it's i call it the beach album it is a great record you should check it out so well i give him credit for going doing those tours and uh bar tours where he was in uh at hog's breath and then came back around and did uh sloppy joe's which i don't like to mention that name but uh <laughs> the big box it's like a it's like a walmart the big box superstore in key west stay out of sloppy joe's go to the good bars please uh you know what we're gonna add a rapid fire question tell us your favorite bars in key west just because you said oh, jesus christ well it's my my loyalty is to charlie bauer who used to run the hog's breath so i still like the hog's breath Mm-hmm. But smoking tuna, he's now one of the partners with Scott Kirby at smoking tuna. I didn't uh, know he was at Hog's Breath before smoking tuna. Yeah, and then uh, when I first went down to Key West, it was uh, everything was on the Bubba system. We're going way back now. The Bubba system is you do this for me, and I'll do this for you. You give me ten grand under the table, and I'll give you a, a stage in this and that. Well, we. I went down there with the new treasure, Bill Page, and we're like, we're not doing that. There's no more Bubba system. And probably the only bar that understood that was a guy named Jeff Gunther at 
the Conch Republic Seafood Company. And he goes, we are new. To, we're, uh, we're regular people here. We don't do stuff like that. We're on board. So the Conch Republic Seafood Company is where I, where Jim Morris played. We had a parade from Margaritaville over to uh, the Conch Republic Seafood Company and that Jim Morris would be there with Hugo Duarte trying to get the Key West uh, vibe in there too. So that was probably, and I still like that bar, but probably the Smoking Tune is my best place to go because sometimes you can reach up in a rafter and find something others, other than tuna to smoke if you know which rafter to reach up into. Oh, here we insider <laughs> information there. <laughs> Don't tell Charlie. <laughs> I won't. All right. Uh, favorite song by an independent trap rock artist. Ah, oh, geez. Y- you can throw out more than one. I, I, I think I'm going to go. It's got to be Jim Morris. He's, he's got so many of them. But Thursday night at the Conkhouse Lounge, where the Shrippers play more Buffett, that's probably it. And that's one of those songs where it's like migration from Buffett. The title of the song isn't in the song. Yeah. Which is very unique. And me and a bunch of buddies of mine go and play golf in St. Augustine every year. Go over the Bridge of Lions, which is in the South Southward song, to the Conkhouse Lounge. And uh, it's, it's really a cool place. So I'm going to go with that. All right. What is your favorite beach to visit and hang out at? Long Beach Island, New Jersey, home of the original Ron John Surf Shop. Not that I surf, but I do spend a lot of money on their gear. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What is your favorite Buffett album, full-blown album? I think I'm going with A1A, Migration, Pirate Looks at 40 or whatever. I don't even remember what's on it. But yeah, yeah, I Can think that's jealous? it. Uh, yeah, I, uh, and... Uh, uh, Fruitcakes is right there because that's when I really got into Buffett was right 95, 96. And the first time I saw Buffett, he, I don't know if it was the first time, first or second time, he did uh, Uncle John's band on the day that Jerry, Jerry Garcia died. Can't remember what year that was, if it was the first year I saw him or second year. So that's a torn one, but I like A1A, I think. All right. A1A is a good, solid, safe choice for sure. And I, I think I, I need to go back and compile all these answers but i think it's probably number one yeah everybody all right and the big one that you've uh, apparently already scouted out uh if you were going to build a mount rushmore of independent trap rock artists what four faces are you putting up there it's a tough one tough one uh i'm gonna go by by uh category so all right best songwriter jim morris by far probably maybe better than jimmy buffett in my mind course i love the guy to death i shouldn't say to death i loved him till he died and i still love him uh a guy i wrote a few songs with that are still played on radio margaritaville but the best voice in trap rock is john frenzy um i i gotta go with uh best all around everything from mc to host is james white he does everything he'll he hosts stuff. He's MCing. He just does everything. Yep. And then I got this one was tough. The fourth one's tough because I got this guy, this tall guy from 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 Tennessee <laughs> that started out as 
with Saints somewhere filling in or kind of playing with them back in 98 or 99 to uh, Tall Paul and, or to uh, uh, Tall Daddy with Craw Daddy um, to Ramajay and then to Tall Paul and Christie, which we didn't really talk about, but I'm really proud of the women that are getting involved in this, this, uh, this genre now. Um, but I, so he's got my honorable mention, the whole gambit of his career okay. through meeting of the minds through the time that I've been there to now, but I'm going with the best party band and that's Jimmy and the parrots, Jimmy Maraventano, Jimmy Maraventano jr. Even though I hate Jimmy Maraventano jr. He's a, he's a doctor dickhead to me, but I love him to death. <laughs> all of them, all of them. And, and again, another woman that's in the business here, but besides like Sue McCaughey and like Mary Diaz is Mary Beth Rotella. There's a, there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of people getting involved. That, that's kind of the, the way I see the, the world going here is getting more people involved. Yeah. So I'm are you using me? At, go go ahead. ahead. I've gone with Jimmy and the parrots. No offense to tall Paul. He's on my honorable mention. All right. So, uh, you get to add one more person now. This is an off-stage person, uh, non-musician. Who's that going to be? It's a tough one. Again, I got my heart goes with JL Jameson and the Tektronics crew from from making all our band sound really good on stage for all those years. But I'm going to go with a guy who is actually a musician, but for everything he's done outside of it, I, how do you not put Buffett there? I mean, a, as a Starting Radio Margaritaville. I yeah. thought about Steve Huntington, um, but who started Radio Margaritaville and, and who started the whole, the genre kind of, and with the, mar even though it's all sold out and been corporate now, yeah. if it wasn't for him, so take the music out of it. And I guess you really can't take the music out of it because if it wasn't for the music, it wouldn't be there. But the guy really did just about everything that we would, none of us would be there without the other part of it, not just the music, but the fact that the store was in Key West, the store was in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. The so the, I don't, if I if I can pick Buffett, I will. If not, I'm going to take the sound guys and I, put on everything in Key West. I like using Buffett in that spot because you're right. Without the cafes, without the Coconut Telegraph, without uh, Radio Margaritaville, in um, we're talking like '95 to 2010 before social media. Those things were what everybody hung their hat on, along with the concerts in the parking lot. But, the, you know, to fill in the gaps, it was Radio Margaritaville and the Coconut Telegraph. So, yeah, I like it, man. All right. Well, uh, Alex, man, I really enjoyed this. And I, I tell you what, I want to invite you back at some point um, down the road. I want to do a Jim Morris episode. Um, and I would like I'm to have... There. I think I'd like to have you and James and John Patty back to uh, talk about Jim Morris sometimes. So. Yeah. When, uh, yeah. When, was, when was Jim's birthday? Uh, I can't remember now. It wasn't that long ago. I just came up on my phone and all I do is get sad. Yeah. So I, I can't remember. Well, I, I'm, I'll get one of y'all to look that up for me. Yeah, we'll I, do I can look it up for you for sure. Yeah. Maybe we can do it in conjunction with, uh, with Jim Morris's birthday later on next time I yeah that sounds to. it's i i think it's in the fall i can't remember i just i remember him being at my house one one of i think it was his 50th birthday oh i bet Maybe. that was a party oh yeah and sharon wasn't here and she was pissed off at him a little bit because she wasn't here 
and I wish the best out to her too, because I know she her health is not good either. It's just a real shame. That's a, that's like the uh, an, another woman that was in the business, but nobody really knew, like Sue McCaughey and Mary Beth Rotella and Mary Diaz and those Adela, people. Adela White. Adela White, absolutely. Um, just the people that are behind the scenes, uh, Jereen Sykes, uh, Susan Walker, you know, all these people that are behind the scenes doing all the work. And yep. Sharon did a lot of work for Jim, settled him down. Some said <laughs> too much, but I, I don't think so. Uh, well, man, Alex, I appreciate it. Uh, let's, uh, let's get a couple of drinks in Key West this fall. So. Absolutely. All right, my friend. I Good appreciate to talk it. to you. Take care. Thank you.